Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to tell you about our sponsor today, Beducated. Beducated is an online site that has classes and courses focused on love, sex, and intimacy. The site is really great and it features experts in the fields teaching you about their specialties. I watched the female orgasm class because, you know, it's always good to hear different perspectives and to brush up and it was great. Sometimes I do think I know it all and then I watch the class and I realize, yeah, there's always more to learn. You can get a free trial for all Beducated courses right now and you can get a permanent discount off for the yearly pass with my link in the show notes and my coupon code is HOLY. And this discount is forever, not just for the first year, but for life. And then you can level up your love life and join Beducated for $10 a month. They have a really big library of courses and it's exciting and it feels empowering. And it's not like you're just Googling and searching on YouTube for videos of how to do a lap dance for your lover, which, you know, could take you down many, many different places, but it's curated. So use my link in the show notes and my coupon code HOLY for your permanent discount for the yearly pass and enjoy. I hope you have fun exploring on their site. And now let's keep moving on to the episode. Hi, everybody. How's it going? So on today's podcast, I have the incredible John Wineland, teacher, father, artist, author, talking about his new book from the core and lots of other great things. This is a man I deeply trust and I'm very excited to have on the podcast. Hi, everybody. I am super excited to have a really amazing author, artist, teacher, John Wineland with us today. Welcome, John. So lovely to see you. Thank you, Alexandra. Good to be here. Well, I just want to tell people how I know you first and foremost. Um, I definitely think that I met you uh, in a workshop in LA where you were maybe like a friend participant, but cut to like five years later, I enrolled in your program last year. Mm -hmm. And I had the, you know, the privilege to be in that container for nine months. And I haven't talked about it a lot publicly. So I thought that would be just a nice way to begin today. Um, I'll I'll say that because you're friends with my partner, me entering into your program was like a little spicy in my household. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but it be, but you know, really, the way that um, that I held like entering into that space was that I love embodied women's work, and I teach it and I lead it in my own way. And I also want to be deeply held um, to have my own place to express and to continue to be a student. Mm. So when I entered into your program, I got to still like learn and be a student. And I learned so much. And mm. I'm really glad that I did it. And yeah. we figured it out over here. It was fine. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was definitely fine. a moment where Eli walked into the living room and I was on a call and he heard your voice. <laughs> he was like, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you guys worked it out. And it was it was lovely to have you. It was lovely to have you. And it was really I really loved that cohort. And we were together for a little longer than we planned because of COVID. But it it worked out beautifully. And 
that last workshop was fantastic. And just, yeah. So I, I just, I, it's a, it's an interesting experience for me to lead women because obviously I'm not. And I was, it was co-led by three wonderful teachers, uh, you know, um, Aaron and Allie and Nicolette, who I just want to give a shout out for. And, and, and it was, it was great to have you. Yeah. And they're amazing. And it felt like such a safe container. I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of the spiritual traditions that many of us uh, go drink from the well of, uh, there's not always a trustable masculine at the lead. And Mm -hmm. I think that culturally right now in the spiritual space, a lot of women have, you know, taken that position of leadership and I do think that there are great trustable masculine leaders. So I want to just start with how you got on this path. I mean, you have a book that just came out mm-hmm. that we will definitely talk about, which is huge. Congratulations on Thank that. You. Thank you. you know. um, but how did you start <laughs> off on your path, uh, be it spirituality, embodiment, and into teaching? Mm, yeah. Well, I've always, I've always kind of been interested in teaching. I was actually studying to be a curator. So I was, I was, I was almost finished with my PhD at NYU and I was studying to be a curator. So I was going to actually become a, you know, a professor and an art curator. And, um, and then my daughter was born and my life took a, just a total, you know, right turn. Um, so I've always kind of been called into teaching. I had no idea that it would be in this realm. You know, who the fuck knows? I mean, we're going to be doing, if someone said 20 years ago, you're going to be doing this. I'd be, what is that? Um, so. I've always wanted to teach. When I was young, I got introduced to Buddhism. My mom uh, pulled my sister and I out of Catholic school when I was seven and basically said, you're Buddhist now or Buddhist. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I learned to chant and recite the Lotus Sutra. And it's been a a practice of mine for over 40 years. And um, so I've been I've just been drawn to spiritual practice since I was young. And and then when I. I don't know, maybe I was when I mid thirties, when I got married, I realized that all of that did nothing to help me become a better partner. (laughs) Whatever spiritual practice I thought I had. Did you guys hear that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can meditate and say all the mantras, but you still can suck in relationship. It's a humbling fucking truth, right? So, um, so I realized that that I didn't know some piece of information just did not get bestowed on me. And I think, you know, a lot of people in my generation, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was like we, we just didn't have, you know, broken family was kind of the natural order almost, you know, where I grew up. So my mom was married three times. My dad was married three times. Like I had no idea. Mine too. To, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and and just a fun fact for your listeners. I think I think maybe the number it might be the number one or number two um, uh, identifying marker of whether or not you're going to be in a long term healthy relationship is your parents, mm. which is so fucked up because like we have no we have no control over that. But whether you had that model as a kid, so you know, so I'm I'm I knew I was bucking against right. my dharma, my family's dharma, right? So. And I'm still bucking against it. Why do you say Dharma and not Karma there? Curious. Well, because my family, I mean, I think, I suppose you could, you could use either one, but because I felt like my family, because of my mom, right. She was, she's still a, a super devout Buddhist. Right. And so we, my family had, 
part karma, part dharma. Like my family wanted to be in spiritual practice, but did not know either my mother or my father could figure out how to make relationship work. Okay. I see. So it felt like I'm, I'm changing, you know, through a dharma, I'm trying to change the family lineage, the karma of my family lineage. Right. And, um, but I didn't know all this when I started. Yeah. Like a lot of guys, I picked up the way of the superior man. I was like, Whoa, this is awesome information. How come nobody taught this to me when I was younger? And I went to a workshop with David, fell in love with a woman there, like literally at my first workshop, we were together for three. Yeah, we were together. It was classic. We were together for three years, did all kinds of work together and practice together. And that, and I was sort of on my way in this realm of being a practitioner. Mm -hmm. And, and so I did that for, I don't know, another five or six years and started to have men come to me about, you know, um, Hey, teach us what you're learning. Da, 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 da. It's obviously doing something. So, so I started men's groups in Santa Monica, just doing it once a month, like kind of as a side gig. And sometimes I'd have five guys there. Sometimes I'd have 30, you know, it was a very wild time and um, started teaching men's yoga, started just doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, and it just, it just grew as I, as I, as I continued as a practitioner, it just kind of grew. And basically what I've tried to do is take everything that I've learned from many different sources. Some of them, you know, from obviously from David's work, it's a lot of that framework that I incorporated a lot of work of Toltec shamanism. I studied with a, with a guy who's you know big in that world for a few years, um, martial arts, like anything that I felt would help me ground into my, my masculine. Mm-hmm. And I was raised by five women, really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, my, my, yeah, my, let's see, was my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, my great aunt. Then I had a sister, a half sister, two stepsisters. So I was in a highly feminine environment and I had no real trustable masculine in my world. So I, I literally had to create that for myself. So what, what, I know you're going to talk a little bit more about this, but I've heard you talk about it before. And what happens when a man is raised primarily by women? And we're talking kind of generally speaking here, but also specifically to you, what, what, how did that impact you the way you were formed? And, and, and then what did that challenge you into? Yeah. I mean, what's a great question. I think, I think there was a lot of, there were a lot of men who were raised with single mothers fathers were absent. There's, you know, a lot of, a lot of work on this. And, you know, I think I was feminized in a certain way. I think I was just, I was, when I mean that it's not, not negative at all. It's like, I was, I was literally like taught to be more aware of my emotions. I was taught to be more expressive. I was taught to be more sensitive to my environment. Um, I was, so there was just a, like, a, there was an ethos of, you know, the feminine that I literally right. steeped in because my mother was such a devout Buddhist. There was a masculine principle right. also in the house that I really grabbed onto. Wow. And I remember being young, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and chanting for an hour. Right. And so hours. you would consider that masculine, that I would, Buddhist. I would. Yeah. I was a prince. It was like, I was, I was single-mindedly focused on right. connecting to the infinite. Right. And, right. and as masculine principle, like, you know, you know, yes. that's how I'm using it, but yeah, no, I think it just helps for people to hear that. Um, yeah. Cause I, yeah. I, you know, I get it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, yeah. And I think, but what it, what it, 
left absent in me was all of these things that men over the course of centuries have taught sons, right? Which mm. is there's generations of like how, how to, you know, how to take care of a woman that you love, right? How to, in fact, I had the opposite sort of experience of learning the opposite and how to show up, how to, how to, how to create discipline in your body, mm-hmm. how to, um, you know, how to keep your word. Yeah. Right? Like all of those things that sons have learned from men, you know, good men and good fathers over the years, you know, just is, you know, and I'm not alone. There's a ton of men my age who are in the same situation. Yeah. Know? And I'm on the flip side grew up with my dad, not at home. And so I didn't get that imprint. Yeah, And it's like, I think it's beautiful to hear how we arrive with a deep need to our healing and spiritual work, which can lead one into the other sometimes or vice versa or whatever. Yeah. Um, And I think culturally there is this and has been this phenomenon of like, yeah, there, there isn't a complete circuit uh, as much as it used to be in terms Mm -hmm. of, getting that masculine and feminine imprint health in a healthy way. Yeah. And then, so we can have these kind of uh, disrupted relationships. Schism. I would call it like a schism, almost an yeah. internal schism, you know? Yeah. 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 And it took me years and years to go like, Oh wow. Like I have, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what it's like to have the dad do the things for you. You know, yeah. I saw my dad like a few weeks out of a year yeah. and, um, so, so I really, I love that you brought that in. It's like, there's nothing wrong with being raised by just women. Yeah. But the yeah. absence of the masculine has impacted all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope, I think what I'm seeing is a shift in that. Yeah. That, there, that there's more consciousness to the impact after a couple, gen, two or three generations, let's say. Yeah. Uh, you know, late sixties through the nineties you know? And so I think that's shifting a little bit and people are more conscious of both having children and, and what it takes to raise children. And that's, that's beautiful. But for my, you're right. What I, the reason I started men's work and I'm really clear on this now is because I was seeking my own, you know, to heal my own wound. Yeah. I actually started when I got, I got sober when I was in my late twenties and I gravitated to this men's group and we would meet every day at lunch for an hour Mm-hmm. And these guys helped me raise my daughter. They mm-hmm. taught me how to be businessmen. They taught me how to be fathers. Mm-hmm. They taught me to show up to the hospital when I didn't want to. They came to the hospital with me. They like. Will you, know, you they, share they, a little bit about that for those people who don't know that part yeah, of the story? Why you were yeah, at the hospital? Yeah, yeah. My daughter Claire was born with cystic fibrosis, and she was, you know, from the time she was born, I think I was a year sober when she was born until she died, and. 2018, um, you know, the men that I was, that I was with in recovery were just like rocks to me and, and literally healed that father wound in me and, and gave me such beautiful examples. So I'm, I'm so grateful for those men. Um, but they didn't have the spiritual, like I knew there was a spiritual depth to intimacy that I didn't find until I, until I found David's work, quite frankly. Right. And, um, and, and putting those two things together, the spiritual and the intimate right. was like, you know, an explosion in my mind. And I was like, Oh fuck. I didn't even know this was possible. Right. I didn't, okay. I didn't know it was possible to have this kind of connection and intimacy and embodied experience. And, and I was hooked. You know? Yeah. I think that that probably happens to people that go to your workshops or yeah. I've been that person of just that. Yeah. <gasps> 
oh, wow. And your world all of a sudden changes your perspective. Um, You used the word depth. And I hear this word used a lot. I hear it used a lot in relation to masculine, the masculine. And I will say when I use it, the, I'm talking more archetypally or energetic, like that, yeah. that, that, um, instead of just masculinity, which I think has a different connotation, but I'm so curious how you define depth. And mm. cause I also, I experience a lot of depth in my own self. And I sometimes am wondering, is it related yeah. to my own inner masculine? Um, mm. I'm sure you talk about this in your book too. And love to mm-hmm. hear you. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I think of depth as in a kind of literal sense, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the depth of our bodies, right? And, and where we place our awareness determines our level of depth. Like belly, pelvis. Belly, exactly. Pelvic okay. floor, you know, mm-hmm. pelvic floor, perineum, right? So when you're thinking the pelvic floor, if I just place my awareness on the pelvic floor and start breathing into my pelvic floor, I will occur as deeper in this moment to anybody that's around me. Right. Uh, if I if I bring my awareness into a deep place in my heart, right at the core of my heart, or like a deep part of the tissues of my heart, right the texture of my heart, I will I will be practicing depth. Mm-hmm. So the, let's call it the yoga of depth you know, requires an awareness, like bringing my, my thought, my awareness out of thought and into the body. Mm -hmm. But I could also bring my awareness into the depth of this moment Mm. or the depth of your heart Mm -hmm. or the depth of, of anyone's heart. And when, when we, when we start to attune to that practice, and this is a big part of the book, that part of what it means to become a, a, a better leader right, is to use awareness, which is a tool of the masculine, right, feeling tool of the sense of the feminine, awareness tool of the masculine, to use awareness to go deeper into the moment, into a relational experience, into sex, into our own body minds, and and that is kind of literal, right, into the infinite, yeah, the infinite, I mean, come on, yeah, Get get kind of trippy (laughs) where your awareness goes. But Mm -hmm. so I for people that maybe aren't meditator, when I think like, okay, how does somebody have the actual skill to almost like as if your awareness was like a ball of light or something, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. you're kind of moving around like Mm -hmm. a magician Mm -hmm. and you can place it in the person in front of you. You can place it in like, you know, the sort of um suffering of the earth you can please it uh in your partner do you do you think that that's a practice that is cultivated in seated meditation or how would one cultivate that relationship with awareness i mean mm. i'm not sure if if to some people listening if they're like what the actual fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well i think they get right? yeah that, that we i think they get that that our awareness can go where we want it to go most of the time we choose to put it in habitual thought. Exactly. Okay, great. That's, yeah. I think that really, Yeah. most of the time we're not choosing. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time it's unconsciously placed on a thought pattern, which is the byproduct of childhood wounds or other wounds or other habits. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some super healthy people that place it on only happy thoughts all the time. But so to choose where we're going to place our awareness is a discipline. 
that that I think I see I see a lot of men in particular struggle with um, that their 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 thoughts their their awareness will go to thoughts of winning or or you know acquiring or you know, all those things right yeah yeah and and part of this you know quote unquote new paradigm that I'm trying to offer is that instead of that. Let's take your awareness and put it on something more beautiful, something juicier, something deeper, something more unshakable. Right. right? right. Even love. Right. 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 Yeah, even love. And 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 so I think when men hear that, they I, I see them get it. You know, I, yeah. I, I run a men's group just like the women's group, you know, and I see when I start to like offer this as a possibility, like, yeah, you can actually deepen where you place your awareness and it'll impact everybody, they, they get it. And I yeah. think that that's, it's just nobody taught us that that was an option. <laughs> right, right, you know? right, right. Yeah. And I think that the things that you mentioned using this or the David Data terminology of first, second, and third stage, which you guys may have heard me talk about on this podcast before, mm-hmm. um, but those, it's like, it's like we go to the first stage things, like our mind is constantly going to like, more money, more, I need to eat. Like it's like these kind of, unless we train it. Right. And then mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, maybe that's always some sort of instinctual thing that happens, but we start to train it to move in different places. Yeah. Well, to answer your question, yeah. meditation helps, Yeah. but it's not totally required. Okay. And e- the easiest way to start training your awareness is to follow your breath. Mm. right and then if you want to get relational with it you follow your breath and your partner's breath together right and that's a way to train your awareness you know out of habitual thought whether you call that a meditation or a yogic practice it's somewhere in between but but yeah meditation certainly helps but i know a ton of meditators that still don't know how to take that are so connected with the infinite that they don't know how to be relational with the yeah. present moment or the person they're with, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's, there's so much more. I'm kind of writing a little bit about this yeah. for my next book, which is called dare to feel. So it's, it's like inviting, not inviting everyone to be feminine, but um, yeah. inviting us to be present with the discomfort, the shame, mm-hmm. all of it. Right. Cause we're yeah. in a culture of deep escape. Um, I was going to ask, so in, in relationship to the breath, I, I definitely loved learning all of the different breath work pieces from you, Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this year, last year, uh, that supported me relationally. And I'm curious, what, how could you explain how breath, uh, impacts the nervous system, not only on its own, because I know a lot of people talk about that, but relationally, like how does it impact our intimacy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great distinction because I think, I think they're related. So first of all, breath for your own nervous system, you know, it, it does a few things. It fills, Mm -hmm. it relaxes, Mm -hmm. it slows and it opens. You could also argue that it grounds, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could use breath as a grounding agent. Mm -hmm. So doing that in your own personal practice helps to just make you more available for Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'd call that step one, let's call it right. You know? Yeah. And, and so step one is to cultivate your own practice 
and just really get intimate with breath and use it as a grounding opening force. I mean, not to mention, if you want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit, not to mention like breath is life. Breath is the feminine, right? Breath is like, you know, and so breathing is, it's sort of like a filling of our nervous system and our body and of, of juice and prana, chi. And so, so now first you cultivate that chi and openness in yourself, and then you attune it to your lover or to a partner or even to a child, you know, in, in those moments or to a room if you're teaching. Yeah. Right. And you use that breath to, to, uh, sort of enhance your sensitivity mm-hmm. and that has all kinds of benefits. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then once you get into the sexual yoga of it, it's about like breathing together and, uh, you know, Tantra, this has been tantric practice for thousands of years, but breathing to opening together through the synchronized breath. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is part of what you teach too, like, and then adding polarity to that but the first step is to have the breath synchronized so yeah. that there's a like a nervous system entrainment. Yeah. Then you can start to add some juicy yeah. energetic pieces to it. I find that a lot of people, I don't know, it takes a while to nail that, right? It takes a while to nail just breathing yeah. in your own body. Yeah. When I, you know, when I lead women on, on their own, um, I'm like, yeah, it's hard. Like it's when we have thoughts that are disruptive um, or feelings that we don't want to feel like our breath Mm. shallows. Like I'm constantly in sessions with women and I'll ask a question and they'll go and clench and, and, you know, close their mouth. And I'm like, I'm like, stop that. Breathe. breathe." (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the idea of the impact of our breath on our nervous system, on our level of openness to the moment and to ourselves first and foremost, and then to another. And then the, like the bubbles and the excitement when we step in front of another that makes our breath become erratic and shallow perhaps. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And how much practice it takes to drop in and to settle into the body and to another person's breath. Like that in itself before adding other elements, I do think that's a five-year practice right there. Exactly. (laughs) I I told this, I said this the other day, I'm like, I am, I'm not even to the polarity part. (laughs) I'm just working on that. Um, But so you did mention the words sexual yoga, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure, you know, perked a few ears. Will you give us a little explanation of what you mean by that? I do think, I mean, I think the word polarity these days is super like became a buzzy word in the spiritual community, which I have varying thoughts about, but, um, but let's, let's from you fully trustable source, like Mm -hmm. let's deconstruct what is sexual yoga? What is polarity? What is upstream from these concepts? Like you mentioned these Mm -hmm. sort of ancient tantric. I think a lot of people, probably don't have any of this context when they're taking in information online quickly. So I would love, since you've studied this for an extensive amount of time um, to hear it from you. Yeah. Um, So let's just, I mean, this is just my definition. There's different definitions of sexual yoga. Um, David may differ from mine. Uh, um, uh, There's a woman named Sophia Diaz, who I love, who, you know, is in your neck of the woods, who also, you know, was instrumental in bringing this concept of sexual yoga. And when I think about it, I I, I like to think about just like in regular yoga, there's breath, 
there's mudra focus, right? Could be the focus of your awareness or the focus of your gaze and there's movement and bringing those together um, is a way to, to deepen connection and create an arc of energy. So if we just leave the polarity piece out of it for a moment, just that, the working with certain kinds of breath, certain kinds of focus, certain kinds of movement, even if it's just the subtle movement of your, your sacrum or your pelvis or your, or, you know, your perineum or your cervix, that movement, that breath and that focus open up channels of energy. And when you then layer on top of that opening and focus different textures of let's call it the, the easy way to work with polarities. Just think of two battery poles, like a negative and a positive charge or the North and the South pole. And if you amplify one, or if you amplify the positive pole, meaning charge it more and you amplify the negative pole, meaning charge it more, um, then the, the charge between those two poles gets amplified. I mean, it's right. physics, it's, it's, it's physics, right? Mm -hmm. So you're adding that masculine feminine polarity piece on top of the yogic connective piece. And that allows for very deep, it's, it's a structure, let's call the yogic piece, the structural piece. And then we'll call the polarity piece, the energetic piece, right. you know, kind of masculine feminine. And that's what creates very deep, intimate, intimate experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so it's part yogic, part meditative. We use that term because it's just, it's an easier term for people to at least kind of enter. Right. But it's part meditative. I consider it part meditative, part shamanic. Right. Part, you know what I mean? If you want to bring yeah. sex magic into this whole thing, part shamanic, part yogic. But, but you know, it's the, the term that I think most people know is sexual yoga. Yeah. I think the thing that I'm... The thing that I, I feel, I feel like things have gotten a little bit messy in terms of the way there's so many different people interpreting these terms. And sometimes messy is great. So I'm not necessarily judging it, <laughs> but um, I just want to delineate too, that I, I believe that when you're speaking of sexual yoga, it's not, you're not even speaking of any physical touching. No. You're speaking of yeah. full clothes on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And my so, workshops close stay on, but yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think what, what, what I appreciate about what John is saying is that there is an energetic possibility and there is an energetic uh, magnetism that can be created in a container of yogic practice and yogic practice implies a reverence, a spirituality, yeah. maybe some sort of lineage, maybe not. Um, and that all of that, so that those words coupled together, like sexual and yoga, are implicating, I think, an elevated expression of sexuality that maybe most of us weren't um, indoctrinated into. Yes, that's a that's I'm glad you I, I was I was speaking quite technically, but yeah. It's I like to do for, some interpreting here. Yes, of course. With of my course. big thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm speaking about the technical practice, the yogic practice. But within that, um, I, I used to use the word reverence, which I love. I would use the word worship. Mm -hmm. I would use the word awe. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, 
I would, I, I like to think of, of three pillars in the sexual intimacy work. If, let's, if we'll say the practice of sexual intimacy rather than yoga. Yeah. And in the first pillar, it's about the intimate. So the intimacy of human to human, like heart to heart, um, just human to human, um, tenderness to tenderness, right? The, the soul, a soul connection. So there's yeah. a human connection. There's a soul connection. There's, that's the intimacy, right? Which is that we're the same, ultimately. There's just right. one of us here, right? Um, so that's the first pillar. The second pillar is this arc of sexual energy that we discussed, right? And and then the third pillar is a devotion to each other's nervous system. Mm. And that that's a really tricky, that's the hardest one for so many people. And I like how you, I've never heard anyone else say it like you say it because you use the word nervous system. And I, I, I appreciate that. It almost um, depersonalizes it a little bit, even though it's super personal, the way our nervous yeah. system is formed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, thank you. I just want to highlight that that feel, that's a very John thing, I think. Right. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I pulled this from, you know, there's when people have spoken about nervous system tolerance yeah. and that kind of thing, but, but I'd putting like to this think within specifically within intimacy like this. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'd like to, I, I think it's my contribution or innovation <laughs> to whatever. Um, but so, so within this, this technical container of breath and awareness and da, 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 um, having a, a reverence for your partner's divine, right? And if you're with somebody whose essence, and we'll get into the, I guess it's time to get into this, whose essence is feminine, right? To feel the divine feminine in him or her, them, you know, is part of the practice and really have a deep reverence for that and vice versa. Now, this is, I know you know this, but I'm saying this for all you, is this is gender neutral. Like this, it doesn't matter. We all have masculine and feminine. There are men who identify primarily as feminine. There are women who identify primarily as masculine. Most of us have both. Most of us predominantly lean one way or the other, but it doesn't have to be that way. So there's just so much freedom in right. that. And choice. I think and choice, yeah. People get so defensive about it. And I'm like, wait, you guys, you get to choose. A, you get to choose if this is your path. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody's path for yeah. sure. Yeah. If you yeah. walk into a workshop and you feel fully lit, like you've just come home to a part of yourself, maybe it's your path. You know, yeah. but some people it's not. So if it's not, don't worry about it. We can keep listening. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. have to attack us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 I understand where the you're just bringing the terms masculine and feminine in brings all the history of the patriarchy and you know you know how much pain women have endured over the last hundred thousand years and you know so I t I get that um, yeah and it's a it's a framework that's very useful as well and ancient yeah. too and ancient yeah way before you know Shiva and Shakti and Yin and Yang I mean this goes way back yeah so all of those elements I think come together to create a really beautiful sexual yogic practice. And what I'm seeing, and I think you may be seeing it too, is that people will learn some of the technical aspects of it, but won't bring the spiritual reverence. Right. And so, and so it tends to be messy and somewhat shallow and oftentimes dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I have a friend, we, we sometimes do a little rabbit holing on this one guy who quote unquote teaches polarity. I will not say his name and he'll write these things like women 
if you if you do this, you're you're masculine and you're never gonna meet a man. <laughs> it's, like, just like, it's crazy. It's wow. crazy. Anyway, wow. there are a lot of people out there um kind of throwing around some of this terminology. And it's it's interesting because it does just feel kind of zeitgeisty in the personal growth and spiritual space right now, which yeah. means there will be all of the 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 true practitioners and the novices who have great marketing, you know, um, yes. and that's just, I think, part of it. Uh, but so another question I had kind of in relation to this um, is, like, do you think that people have mistaken this for a 24-7 lifestyle, this this mm. sexual yoga, this practice mm. of creating polarity in their relationship, yeah. um, has it created, like, what has it created in people yeah. that have stumbled upon it that you've yeah. witnessed? Oh, yeah, this is such a great point. Um, so one of the things that I've, one of the issues I've had actually with David's work is that if you read The Way of the Superior Man, and most men have this experience, a lot of men have this experience, it's presented with such beautiful simplicity that it's misinterpreted to be easy. Mm. And it's not. The, the levels of practice and the personal, um, you know, just to be able to tussle with the woman versus be reactive to her when she's criticizing, right? I mean, so these things that, that are easy to some people who've, who are, who've been in practice for 40, 50 years are not easy for most people who are trying to find their way through their childhood wounding and modern life and it's, so, so I think the, to answer your question, people tend to weaponize these things against themselves mm. and against their partners mm. rather than I try to make the point in the book that these are lifelong Kriyas yes. that are never reached and never perfected exactly, and, and filled with failure and recommitment. Yeah. And so I like to, I just want to say that for anybody who, you know, thinks like, oh, I need to get more masculine. So I'll be loved. <laughs> I need to get more feminine, so I'll be loved. And 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 this is a this is a a, a long journey of opening and spiritual exploration and sexual exploration and personal exploration. And it's not something that it that happens overnight or that you can turn on. Um, so yeah, I see people weaponizing it against themselves, like they should be feminine 24 seven, who the fuck is or masculine. I, I would, I would stick needles in my eye. If I had to be like deep, clear in charge and holding space for 24 seven, it would drive right. me fucking crazy. Right, right, and right. so nobody can do that. Nobody should do that. But we think of it as a yoga that we're opening into for the sake of something greater than our hopefully than our preferences, mm. right? Hopefully for, for consciousness and love itself, for the divine itself, for our communities, for our lovers, for our families, like we're, it's in service of something greater. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why people, when they come to workshops have this experience of, wow, like, it's not just about me getting my rocks off. It's about love opening up something that has so much more depth and power to it. And so to answer your question, finally, I, it, it's more like, think of these as nutrients, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the spiritual aspect of it, which is right. fantastic. But for your partner, mm -hmm. your feminine is a nutrient. Certain aspects mm -hmm. of your feminine 
is a nutrient to his nervous system. And he actually gets fed energetically by your devotion or your energy or the ways you move or the, you know, and it's a, it's like a, a nutrient. And if he's, and if you withhold those nutrients for two days, five hours, ten, you know, whatever it is, two weeks, he'll start to feel malnourished mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like mm-hmm. presence is a nutrient. Mm-hmm. Um, breath is a nutrient. Depth is a nutrient. Integrity is a nutrient. Clarity is a nutrient. And so just as a think of these things as nutrients that we get, we choose to give our partners because we love them yeah, and because we want them to be well-nourished. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciate that instead of looking at it as a lifestyle or like a credo that you have to live by. Okay. This is how I must be feminine and he must be masculine. And if I do this, then I'm not feminine and I'm leaving my polarity. And I see all these people (laughs) saying these very heady things online, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm on social media as you are, you probably have people, you never look at it. I mean, I have people, but I'm still on there, (laughs) but But I'm curious also, like in terms of what the collective is feeling, and I do see a lot of these almost like blanket statements around Mm. masculine and feminine, and some of them feel so disembodied and like far from the heart and so dogmatic, Yeah. Um, Yeah. which when something becomes so heavily dogmatic, I'm like, it's, mm, where's that deep juice around it as well? Yeah. I think that if for, for those people that are, you know, that are interested in this exploration, like that, that feel like, oh, this, this does light me up. Like this sounds, this makes sense. I would just be careful in choosing your teachers, you know, like be, right. be you know, choose people who, who really are devoted to this for years and years. Exactly. Years and years, like more than a few, a couple years, like totally. 10, 20, 30 years. And because it takes that long to really integrate this stuff. I'm still into, I'm still learning. You're still learning. You know what I mean? Uh, I know Eli is still learning and it's, it's, it's the, the, the best teachers are still learning 10, 15, 20 years into it. And there's only a few people who have 40 or, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of experience in, yeah. you know, the tantric embodied realms. Mm. So I just would would encourage because there's so much noise, there take the time to really feel into who. Because here's the thing, and I, I mean, I, I have a teacher training program, and it's part of what I teach them is you're asking somebody to open their body, and then you're giving and their heart, and then you're giving them a transmission. <laughs> and if 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 your transmission is muddied, or if it's if it's got shadow in it, like you're now pumping that into an open body and heart in front of you. So it's really important. It's one of the reasons why I was like, mine is three years, three year minimum, three years and thousand hours. And most people are not going to do that. Right, 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 right. Most people are like, oh, that's too much. I'm like, that's yeah. just the fucking start. <laughs> yeah. So right. I guess it's my, I'm just piling on to what you're saying that it's, it's really important for people to, to be discerning and who they choose to work with. I talk about that too. And I mean, I am no way in hell a polarity teacher. <laughs> and like Eli and I led a couples um, or a co-ed immersion, but we're yeah. very clear and I'm very clear. I'm like, look, I'm really great 
with the women. I've been doing that for 20 years. I've been yeah. leading. I started leading my first women's circles in New York when I was 18. And wow. so I feel very confident in that space, like mm. helping women open to feel everything, to make mm. art from it, et cetera. But when men are in the room too, I'm just like, hmm? <laughs> this is not my area of genius. I'm going to be very honest with you all. Um, yeah, we can have conversations in this room, but like the work that you do, taking people into these very potent, um, energetically sexual moments to be, mm. you know, clear and closer on, that mm. takes a lot of skill. That takes a lot of training. Um, and I, the word practitioner, I heard you say it at the beginning. And I just, I'd love for you to define that for us, for mm. people. Like, what is it to be a real spiritual practitioner nowadays? Mm. Well, I'll give you my version of yes, it. And, of you know, like it's all relative. Uh, you yeah. know, if you talk to David about this, it's hours and hours and hours of <laughs> spiritual practice. For some people, it's seven, eight hours a day. Um, for me, it's a couple hours a day of meditation, yoga, qigong, some form of embodiment work, some form of time in nature, uh, 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 chanting. I, I have a practice that I do daily. And so to be a practitioner means to practice being in a, let's call it a tantric relationship with the moment. And a tantric relationship just means to bring the divine in through your body, through your body. So I consider myself a practitioner doing two to three hours a day, you know, not every day and not perfectly, but, you know, like I feel like I've settled, but it took me years to settle in. Right. And what I see is most people don't want to get on the mat. Right. And being a practitioner could be like, like feeling your feelings. Totally. I mean, that's part of what I yeah. have women do is like yeah. lay on the floor, put on two songs a day and yeah. commit to your feelings and commit to opening. And if you lay down and you're like hard as a rock, I can't feel anything. It's going to take longer than two songs. Right. But, you know, once you start learning how to open, then you're like, ah, and then I have, you know, women that are weeping and opening quickly, but it's, mm. There are days when I lay there and I'm like, anything but this. I want to look at my phone. It's my phone is so interesting. You yeah. Know? And so um, varied. Yeah. And I so think that's, that, yeah, that's a ahead. practitioner, someone who's literally practicing deepening their in their body, deepening their connection to the divine, deepening their, you know, their expression of feeling, deepening their connection to the infinite. Like that's what I would call a practitioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that, you know, I, I think I did some sort of a solo podcast or I've mentioned it at some point of at that at some point on my journey of being an artist into entrepreneur mm. that I was like, Ooh, I'm practicing a lot of marketing. <laughs> I'm like I'm yeah. really spending a lot of time in marketing practice. I don't <laughs> want that to be my daily practice. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be practicing the things that I call forward in my writing and my art, yeah. my teaching. So I better hire somebody and find a way for someone else to do that because yeah. otherwise I should be teaching marketing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a beautiful distinction. And I think, I think that we need to, it's very personal. Yeah. Like, you know, I've seen some of your stuff on Instagram and you're out in nature moving. Right, right, right. You're right. out in nature moving. And, and that is practice. That is you practicing your special connection to the feminine in your own way. 
And so whatever, it's not like it has to be, you, I want to say you can choose whatever your practice is. It doesn't have to be mine. It doesn't have to be Alexander. Oh, mine part of is making art for sure. Like that's yeah. definitely part of it. Yeah. 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 An expression. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is lovely. So whatever your practice is out there, people, um, you know, <laughs> own it. Yeah. Own it. Own it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I wanted to ask you this question because I'm imagining a few people will be thinking about it. You touched on it a little bit, which is um, that it doesn't matter what body that you're in, that you could practice um, feminine or masculine. Yeah. What about people nowadays that don't want to identify with either of those words or don't feel like they like those words or they yeah. feel in the middle of those words? Is this practice still open to those um, those beautiful humans? Like, are yeah. or would they be, maybe choose another practice for their spiritual practice? Yeah, well, of course, that's up to them. But right. there, you can use, and I try to make this point in the book. But you can use terms like structure and flow. You could right. feel consciousness or love. You could right. feel emptiness and fullness. You could right. So, so there's a the polarities of the natural world give us everything we fucking need in order to bring these these you know these energetics into our body i like to think of this as a spectrum right with if we thought you know super masculine on one side of the spectrum would be black hole or so you're like dense, definitely what i dense. thought of when you said super masculine i'm like picturing alexander skarsgård <laughs> you're like black so, hole okay yeah so dense nothingness right dense heavy nothingness yeah and then as you move through that there's you know mountain right mm -hmm. and then you know redwood right mm -hmm. or you know and you as you can move through the spectrum as you get to say bamboo which starts to have a little more movement in it. Right. right? And right. then now, now you're in water, right. Or wind. Right. And, and, and at the far end of the feminine spectrum, which you could call it, whatever you want is, you know, exploding starlight. Right. And, and put it, whatever you want on those spectrums. But I think you get the idea that people can choose where they want to play on that spectrum. Okay. Two things I think are important. A, what part of that spectrum do they relate to most naturally? Like there might be men, and I, I think I'm one of them, who kind of leans because of my background more naturally leans into the feminine. Like I'm very sensitive. I'm very expressive. I'm, you know, so I might probably put myself somewhere 60% in 60% feminine. Yeah. And then, but, but so finding where you fit on that, I think helps people to yeah. break out of the, you know, that I should be da, 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 and then choosing where you want to go. Or do you want to play and 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 then letting go of the terms masculine and feminine they're, they're clunky I, I i admit that but 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 they because they you know because so many people are dealing in the cisgendered heteronormative spaces that's still a huge piece of who comes to me wondering what the fuck to do right you know right right, right. So it's a framework that's built for them i that's that's i get that but if people have some open-mindedness and the capacity to be fluid around it, they can release those terms and right. nature. Totally. Yeah. And I love how in your workshops, and I think that perhaps other people that teach this work have people practice both practice. Yeah. So like I can practice being 
a redwood or an oak tree, Mm -hmm. which I often do if a woman is like having a full meltdown (laughs) as a client of mine, I, you know, go into that. So funny. Eli dropped a a glass bottle, like a five gallon jug the other Mm. day coming up the stairs because we have all these stairs that we had just gone to the spring and a piece of glass like went through his shoe uh, into his toe. Mm. And um, I immediately turned into like the most bubbly, like, oh my God. (laughs) And he was like, I was like, I'm going to the hospital with you. I'm going to And he was like, no, you're not coming because like this energy is not helping me. And then I was like, mm. okay. I was like, I can be calm in crisis. I do it all the time. I was mm. just feeling my heart first. And my heart was like, oh my God, my person is hurting. Mm. And I was like, okay, but I know how to be an oak tree right now. <laughs> I was like, I'm an, I can oak tree. I can oak, oak tree in the ER with you. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 you don't have to come. But it was such an interesting moment where um, that happened naturally, where it was just like my first inclination was this like full movement, like, you know, leaves in the wind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, we should, I think we should. I think all humans are, are bet I'm gonna say, I'm gonna make a value judgment here. I think people are better off cultivating both capacities. Mm-hmm. Uh, men do really great in play and 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 play and expression, right? And that helps to clear something. And and it's really good for for women, you know, to learn how to be an oak tree when their partner is having an emotional experience or or, or being a mother for Christ's right. sake. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That, that's that's such hard stuff. It's funny we went to. Cause we all, Eli and I, and a few couple other guys went to Yosemite. And if you would have seen the four of us like playing naked in a waterfall, <laughs> right. I, I mean, it was like, it was like kids giggling and, and, and it was so nourishing. And so I think it's really important for, <laughs> and I remember, I remember in North Carolina teaching the women, you know, kind of an hour of masculine practice of breath and seated and you guys ate it up. Yeah, totally. I did your chi generation, which Eli also taught me. Um, I did that with my group last week, actually, and they felt really good in it. And I said, I said, you know, John and Eli, I've practiced this with both of them um, Mm. and it is supportive. And I was like, feel. And for those of you guys listening, it's it's um, it's a Qigong exercise that where you're kind of in a squat and you're holding your hands out. I did it the first time with Eli in Tulum in 2020 when we were, yeah. he was teaching a workshop and it was like, we had barely known each other. Um, and someone actually took a picture of me doing it and put it on the internet, which is funny because I looked so serious and focused because I was probably, you know, like trying to impress him. But he made us do it for, I think, about 10 minutes and, yeah. and, and for the first time, um, which was just a, a really beautiful way to feel our strength and our capacity to hold. Mm. Um yeah, I got so much out of the program with you coming into say your program. I knew I was going to get influenced by the work there. And I, I always get a little bit nervous about um, what I take in because I know I'm it's going to become me. Yeah. So in my in my groups and in my um, uh, women's immersion that I led in May, I was like I had just finished your work. And so I mentioned you and. Ali and Galette and Aaron several times um, during that immersion because it was just so fresh within me. And I'm just curious how what you think about this, because um, you are so good at crediting and citing your teachers. 
And you really inspired me with this because mm. I've heard I heard you so many times credit David, Cass Phelps, Teo. Like I I, right. I don't know, I don't even know all of the people, but I've heard their <laughs> names, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't hear many people doing that, to be honest. And I was just kind of like, and I also see people who probably are your students or follow you reappropriate your teachings without crediting you. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious what you think about that, because you're yeah. so good at modeling the like the very generous version of that. Mm, thank you. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for saying that. Um, it was definitely something I had to cultivate. Yeah. And the 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 piece of it when i relaxed around who i am and what i'm bringing in the world it felt totally natural to just credit everybody who gave me information and 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 literally the way i think about it is i have the greatest job in the fucking world i mean i, I really i i mean i'm so blessed by the life i get to lead and how i get to teach and what i get to experience you know with men and women and any so I, I'm just so grateful for the people who gave me this opportunity that it it just feels um, it's the least I can do is to make sure that people know about them and 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 their impact on me and um, and also too uh, you know Eli too I don't think your people know this but Eli was my very first men's workshop mm. ten people in. Oakland or something in San Francisco. He, he was Mission. teaching it. He was teaching it. Yeah. yeah he I went to David's that. thing and, and Eli was there and I was like, Eli was like, I'm doing something next month. I'm like, I'm in. So Aww. I went to, so, so Eli was, I did my first two generator with Eli. So, you know, I, I, I guess I think that the part of the part of people that feels scared or feels lack yeah. is often, not always, but often the part of them that doesn't want to credit the source. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're afraid that it, it will take away from them in some form or fashion. But it really does the opposite. It, it, it actually makes you look better to be part of a, a lineage of teaching that's very deep and old. And, and it's just and it also just feels good. It feels good. In yeah. my in my book, um, I said so many people's names and I thought I'm is this too much? Like, am I, do I need to ask them? Am I going to embarrass them? I don't even, you know, it yeah. didn't really matter. I was like, I'm doing this from my heart out of reverence. Um, like I've never spent time directly with David though. His teachings have impacted me greatly. So I was like, I have to like really be like, say that at the top of my book that yeah. this man's books have impacted me and his teachings through his um, students who teach, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I do think a friend of mine who has her first book coming out soon, her name's Ebony Janice, she posted something recently that was just like, we have to cite and credit our intellectual lineage or spiritual lineage, even yeah. down to conversations with people that have deeply inspired us. And I think things got have gotten really messy online. So I just really appreciate your integrity with um, crediting often you don't just credit these people once you continue to remind us that you're part of these lineages that you've been um invited into yeah and and i'm i think another two pieces i'll say about this one i'm super proud of these lineages yeah. 
Teo trained in the Carlos Castaneda lineage for 20 years before mm-hmm. I started working with him. And Cass was part of the, you know, part of the, uh, with Emily Conrad invented nonlinear movement. Right. You know, I mean, so these people are, are fucking giants mm-hmm. and I'm just blessed to be able to work with them. And for those people who are teachers, students wanting to teach, and I have innovated each of their works in my own way. Like they've been integrated into my body and life experience and then spit out (laughs) into a workshop, right. In a moment in my Mm. own innovation. And so, so Mm. that's also important that I, that I own that, that yes, I have this lineage that I'm from. And then I also have my own innovation that that's mine. Yeah. How have they felt about that? Are they all like good job or somebody, do they ever get grumbly? No, most of, most of them are cool. Most of them are cool. Yeah. Most of them are cool. You know, I mean, you know, certain ones, you know, have very specific ways they want to be credited, you know, and, and that's okay. I mean, they've earned that right. So, yeah. yeah, So most of them are really cool. And some of them are, you know, some of them are, um, you know, some of them don't even care. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever, (laughs) You know, know, it's good. Take it. It's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's been so great talking to you and I, um, I really appreciate your work and what you're calling so many people into it. Definitely. I think there is, I mean, your work goes so much more beyond just David's work. Like you said, you're kind of bringing all these different streams together and through your perspective and channel, which happens to be very, um, relatable and accessible, but not at the expense of the work. Mm. which I think is really important these days. Um, So yeah, I just hope people just go buy your book first and foremost, and maybe gift it to a man in their life. Also, we'll put all of the links to that here. And then um, I know, you know, I was in John's program, the embodied women's relationship intensive EWRI. He also has men's embodied men's leadership training um, and his teacher training, which the cool thing about those is that they're in-person experiences that Mm -hmm. you're not just learning spiritual practice online. You're really getting the nervous system full training. I mean, if I told you some of the things I had to do in this (laughs) workshop, it really pushes your limits and edges in really great ways. Um, That's a, that's a, that makes me so proud. <laughs> One of my favorite like, testimonials. If, yeah. If anybody knew that I was doing this, I won't say which exercise I'm talking about. But, mm. um, yeah. but um, yeah, so if you're interested in John's programs, he has many, many different options available. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah. thank you so much. Anything else you want to say? Parting words before? Oh, no. We I think we we covered a boatload and I just appreciate just appreciate, you know, you having me on and all the stuff you're doing and, and taking care of my friend in such a beautiful way. And you know, just mazel tov and best of luck to you in the world. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, John. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.